0: 6-7W. Classified top secret subject is...
1: Hey kids, comics!
0: Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which <laughs> sounds a bit rude, we can bring them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Excellent listeners, and welcome to another Hey Kids Comics. I am your co-host, Andrew Leyland. And I am your co-host, Michael Leyland. Well read. Why are we both co-hosts? Because I'm not the host and you're not the host. We are merely co-hosts on this vessel. I am the co-pilot to your Wookiee co-pilot. We've discussed this before. But surely we'd need a pilot if we are co-pilots. Well, I don't know. I suppose there is
1: always a lead pilot and a co-pilot, isn't there? We're, we're the crappy guys in aeroplanes who just sit there
0: going, world oh, temperature level. We're the guys in the Foo Fighters video yeah. who just sit there drinking coffee. And get high. And get high off the coffee. Why, Dave Grohl's imagining that somebody's flying at the side of it, like in Superman, the movie. I not everything comes back to comics. Don't know if Shave Girl's ever seen Superman, but it's entirely possible. Uh, today's episode is a very, very, very special one in that I did all the work. I did some too. <laughs> in what way did you do any work for this one? I read it. <laughs> oh, I suppose that's the best I can hope for. But first, feedback. <laughs> love shiny, shiny feedback. Our first one is from Charlie Niemeyer again who hosts Superman in the Bronze Age, a Superman podcast. <laughs>
1: With a name like
0: that? Yeah, I, that's weird that, isn't it? Uh, I fully expected to tune into that show and expected it to be about The Flash. Yeah? Hmm. That's in, the, was, in the Golden Age. Flash. I was stunned to find out it wasn't about The Flash in the Golden Age, but was in fact about Superman in the Bronze Age. Right, what is the Bronze Age? The Bronze Age is the stuff from Kryptonite Nevermore up until Alan Moore did whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. So is that around 1970 to 1985, 86? Yeah, right. Something like that. So when when, when was the heroic age or whatever? What's, I don't know what the heroic age is. Well, what age are we in now? The dawn of the third age of mankind? The age of Aquarius? Anyway, Charlie says... If you're of a certain age and British, that just made you laugh a hell of a lot. If you're neither of those things, then I'm wasting my uh, I time. Did, I didn't get it. Because you're not old enough. You didn't grow up in the seventies. Okay. With Charlie Says adverts on TV. Okay. Your mum knows what I'm talking about, don't you, love? <laughs> Charlie Says, wasn't it? Charlie Says. <laughs> yes. Charlie. All right. I have to explain it now, don't I? Yeah. They were a set of very badly animated adverts on television during the 70s that were designed to stop children from doing stupid things. <laughs> so the cartoons would normally around this bloke, this kid, and his cat, Charlie. And okay. Charlie would, go,
1: would you go,
0: And the kid would understand what Charlie said. Much like Lassie. Right. Uh, and frequently it would be something like, um, Don't go playing on the electric pylon. <laughs> That's what Charlie would be saying, and the kid would turn around and say, Charlie says, don't go playing on electric pylons, and another one would be, Charlie says, don't play on railways. Okay. That kind of thing. I need my own Charlie. And there was a whole series of adverts, and Charlie says became kind of a well-known catchphrase (laughs) of kids of our era.
1: Charlie and I were in the park. (laughs) (laughs) And this man came up and said, Would I like to see some puppies? And I said, Yes. And I was going to go, but Charlie stopped me. Charlie's reminded me, My mum says I shouldn't go off with people I don't know. Then the man went away. We went and told mummy, and she said we've been very good. I got an apple and Charlie got something he likes. <coughs> he says never go anywhere with men or ladies you don't know.
0: Oh, okay. So when I just said Charlie says, I didn't actually intend to go up on this tangent about old adverts, <laughs> but it just amused me. First of all, says Charlie, I just wanted to let you know about some of the shows we got over here on public television. I know we get Are You Being Served, I have a friend who loves that show, and Old School Doctor Who. How old school? Old school as in pre-Tom Baker. Because I can't imagine there would be much market for the American ones for the black and white ones. So I would have thought maybe they got from John Pertwee onwards... If you know that, answer answer back. Which Doctor Who's did you get by old school? John Pertwee onwards, or did you get Patrick Troughton and William Hartnell? I'm just interested in which episodes America got to see. There are also some dramas and movies, but since I don't watch them, I have no clue what they are. <laughs> Fur comment. As for what you've been covering, I first read Nightfall when it first came out. I had put in a subscription to Batman and my first issue was the issue when Bane frees all the Arkham inmates. That was fortunate, wasn't it? Was that not
1: before Nightfall?
0: That was just before Nightfall. So he actually got the backstory. I was very fortunate for Chip, that was his first uh, subscription issue. Unfortunately, I wasn't really able to get out of the chapters in the other books until much later, so I only got half the story. But since I had Batman, I did get the big events like the Backbreaking and Batman 500. Having said that, I've only got you to blame, because listening to your show got me to read the whole series again, and I can't just stop at the end of Nightfall, so now I've got to continue through Night's End, and I just don't have that kind of time. So curses to you both fair <laughs> enough someone's cursed us already yes indeed um, I think DC's missing a trick with Nightfall the amount of people we've had yeah. who've said, got in touch and said they've read the whole thing again or are trying to read the whole thing again and it's not in trade paperback at all Nightfall is yeah. and Night's End is isn't. night Night's none of Night's Quest is in trade paperback at all Prodigal is Yeah. but I don't think Troika is which follows on directly from Prodigal. So DC, DC's trade paper, back the 90s just suck moose. Also, as was mentioned in one of Michael Bailey's emails, Brett Blevins was a storyboard artist not only for Batman, but also for Superman. Batman Beyond, and the Justice League. Also, it was while Alan and Grant and Norm Brayfogle were on Batman that we first saw Tim Drake in his new-at-the-time Robin costume, with pants. We later saw Tim's first night out with Bruce in costume, the first part of the Destroyer storyline, and the debut of Ventriloquist and Scarface. Also, if you remember the whole subplot where Gordon had a heart attack and was in hospital, and he and Sir Essen started to get closer again, that all took place during the time they were on Batman. At the time, Jim Aparo was on Detective with various writers, but went back to Batman when Alan and Norm went to Shadow. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. I do remember all that now. Yeah. yeah. In my head, Yeah. because it's a very strange and unusual place and your feet stick to the floor, Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle went straight from Detective Comics to Shadow of the Bat, but they didn't. Okay. Michael and Charlie are both correct they did do a short stint on Batman in between and Jim apparo was on Detective and they did have a rotating artist Pete Milligan did like Dark Knight Dark City and a couple of other storylines and is that the same one where he did the tracheotomy on the baby I don't know or was that a different story I don't know why am I talking to you then you're I'm of not. no use to me isn't Dark Knight Dark City the one with the zombie is it is that the zombie one I've seen Pete Milligan did a couple and they were all quite weirdy horror takes on Batman they were all good and there was one where he did a tracheotomy on a baby and I couldn't remember if that was Dark Night, Dark City. Anyway, you are all correct and now that you've pointed out which storylines they were I do remember them being on Batman so thank you very much. Enough with the trivia, Charlie continues I've got to find time to read more Batman. Damn you! That's all that he's damning. Right. Thank you very much. I thought you were damning. Yes, um, and he then got back to us not long after that that something he forgot to add in the other email he believes that like Brett Blevins Mike Manley was also a storyboard artist for the Timverse animated shows so maybe that's why they look so good they actually got comic book artists in to do them but we'll be covering one of those shows on Couch Potato coming soon oh yeah we will we will in any event both artists drew some fill-in issues and or covers for the Superman Adventures comic based on the animated show in fact Mike Manley drew issue 25 which featured Superman in Gotham and was inked by Terry Austin I think I've got that one I think you got all of them I've not got all of them. Oh, okay. I think I've only got, like, the first... I know you've got an Ed Brubaker Batman one. Yeah, Ed Brubaker did an issue of Batman Animated. Batman Animated was never as good after Mike Parabek died, unfortunately. Oh, no. no, he was brilliant. Did he write it or... No, he just drew it, oh, but okay. he was just fantastic. And I really loved it when he was doing it. Also, Charlie continues, since you mentioned it, Manly stays on Batman through issue zero. After that, I believe, Ron Wagner filled in for a couple of issues before Gally Jones took over regularly. Ah, excellent. Wow. I hope next time I email, I'll <laughs> send more than fun facts. <laughs> I like fun facts. Yeah. And because of you, Charlie, I do actually remember them going over to Batman now, whereas my horrible, horrible memory didn't, uh, didn't allow for that before. Anyway, here's a promo for Charlie's show. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Byrne reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. And we're back while we've been listening to the promo Michael has sketched a rather nice little cute looking Batman with a balloon on it that says take me seriously very good. Batman's adorable when he wants to be taken seriously. Batman when he's Adam West you mean. And we have another email from Joe Anthrax That's a cool name. It's a fantastic name isn't it Joe Anthrax. It's not his real name. Is it not? No he's told me that it's not his real name. He's not bothered which one we read out. And I actually think (laughs) Joe Anthrax is a cool name. I want to be Andrew Metallica. I was going to start singing a Zebrahead song. Oh, oh, you you want to be Michael Zebrahead?
1: Well, no, it's Anthrax. Your girl screams my name.
0: That's what we should have done when we did the show. We shouldn't have been Andrew and Michael Leyland. We could have been anything we wanted to be. Max Power. No, that's crap. (laughs) Andrew Metallica's a great name. Okay. Michael Zebrahead's a great name. You could have been the lads. Yes.
1: could have called you Zeus we could have
0: been. <laughs> like the dogs in Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> Work the lock. Work the lock. Don't look at the dogs. Work the lock. Don't
1: look at the dogs.
0: Yeah, when he's trying to break into Robin Masters' house for the first time in Magnum PI, yeah. he's saying, Work the lock. Work the lock. Don't okay. look at the dogs. He breaks into it. He breaks into it. Yeah, he's testing the security system oh, okay. when he first arrives. Don't look at the dogs. Work the lock. Work the lock. Work the lock. Don't look at the dogs. You looked at the dogs. Anyway, our second email from Joe Anthrax, which is a great name. Hello, and Michael and Andrew. I thought I'd switch it up just to boost Michael's ego. Woo! Your ego don't need no boost. No. <laughs> to be honest with you, I've been meaning to write the show to tell you both what a wonderful job you've been doing together. Love, love, the, love the, show, the show, Steve. Steve. <laughs> oh, comedy gold. <laughs> oh dear unlike a lot of podcasts that I listen to yours is one that I was able to get in on the ground floor and to your credit the quality of your podcast even the first ones which are usually fraught with awkwardness bad sound quality and sloppy editing has been on a par with podcasts running far longer thank you very much for that so so we were good when we were crap we were good when we were crap Apparently. Actually, I have to say, I went back and listened to episode number one again, because after getting plugged on Two True Freaks, thanks Scott and Chris, and Views from the Long Box, thank you Michael. Um, You're welcome. Not you, Michael Bailey. uh, We got a a spike in downloads of that first episode, Mm -hmm. so I went and listened to it, and in all honesty I thought we were terrible. When you go back and listen to that first one again, the show itself isn't bad, although it's quite clear I have no idea what I'm doing in Audacity. Yeah. Judging by the music just comes on and goes away. <laughs> I don't think I've got much better at that. But we were really stiff. Yep. Yeah. Weren't we? But we yeah, you know. But thank you very much. So that proves that the listener actually thought it was okay, which is all that matters really, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Doesn't matter what we think of it. We continue with Joe's email. There is a great dynamic between the two of you. Yes, normally of mutual <laughs> loathing. And though you charge yourself as a horrible parent, the fact that Michael comes across as an informed and often enthusiastic co-host is proof that the statement is false. What do you have to say <laughs> to that nice compliment, Michael?
1: You've yeah. rendered
0: him speechless! <laughs> <laughs> God damn! I mean, I'm going to start crying and like <sighs> that's a thank you to the nice listener why thank you nice listener there we go that's all it takes like many of the stateside shows that discuss and review comics Joe continues you both do wonderful synopses Uh ahem I do wonderful synopses I do wonderful synopses when I do them when you can be asked doing them (laughs) Don't work with a teenager, I'm if the, ever possible.
1: I'm the Jim Lee of comic podcasts.
0: Well, in the, when you can be do doing a synopsis, you'll do one and it may be barely adequate, but God forbid you should do it on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Joe continues that paint an accurate picture of the comic for people who may not have the issue right in front of them. That's quite interesting, that, because I, I would like to know how many people listen to episodes when it's about comics they've not read. I thought someone already told us that they did that one time. What listen to one That
1: didn't have it. That they didn't have. And mostly, then they went and bought it. Mostly when we went all vertical y
0: Yeah, somebody has said that the I think it was Scott on the message board actually. Scott Gardner's got mentioned on this episode, he's bound to listen to it. He loves even his own name. Um, did say that the Vertigo episodes were a slog for him to listen to. Yeah. Because he's not a Vertigo fan. Uh, Joe continues, and the entire generational insight that you give to the books is a unique aspect of the podcast that gives two often radically different opinions on the books. I've been enjoying the coverage of Nightfall so far. This was going on during my collecting days, but since I wasn't into the Bat titles at the time, I skipped over it. A lot of people have said that as well, haven't they? They they were, over it. they were skipping Nightfall. And I don't know why, because it was great. Although budgetary constraints may have played a factor in that. I do remember the coverage of it coinciding somewhat with the death of Superman, which I was reading. Like most of the other podcasts that I listen to, this one has given me the itch to track down the collected editions or original comics, so I can read the issues themselves. Minus the showcase 93 issues, of course. <laughs> well, if you're going to collect them all, you may as well have them all. We're like suppose. Pokemon. Yeah, gotta catch them all. In answer to a few of your questions at the beginning of the show, yes, the US did have access to shows like Faulty Towers, Red Dwarf, and Are You Being Served? Somewhat like the B B B C being a government owned network, I'm just gonna pause there. Yeah. Because the BBC don't own the aren't governed by the government. The BBC are an independent body that is funded by us, the licence payer. And actually have to be impartial to various different governments. In fact I could go on a political rant about the current coalition government and the treatment of the BBC, but I'm not going to because like, it's a comic book are they podcast. They're not down on the BBC. They're very down on the BBC. That's the problem. Oh, OK. Uh, back in the days before cable, PBS, public broadcasting system, a government-funded network. All right, so that must be a government-funded network in America. Which show these and other shows primarily from the UK. This is where I got my love for two of the greatest television shows of all time, Monty Python's Flying Circus and Doctor Who. The completely bizarre skits that the Pythons did, as well as the wonderfully cheesy yet incredibly intelligent adventures of the Doctor and his companions, I miss you Sarah Jane, are the foundations that I base my geek cupboard upon. Secondly, the candy Spree were a little different from the candy you described. They did have a hard candy shell, but instead of chocolate, it surrounded a candy much like a sweet tart, which is a chalky citrus flavoured candy. Not one of my favourites. See, we don't have that over here, do we? No. I don't think we even have an approximation of that. Monty Python, yes. Vote the. Well, it wasn't the one where they go to this cave and then there's a
1: rabbit there, and then they go off to get the rabbit, and then the rabbit kills them all.
0: What are you going about? Oh, Monty Python, oh, Python it? yes. Sorry. What are you going to you... do? Bite your bum? <laughs> I thought you were talking about spree candies. <laughs> Those rabbits. What? What? <laughs> See, anyway, all these little spree candies went up to a cave. Yeah, <laughs> there was this big rabbit, though. <laughs> that's the story, uh, I'll Jesus. repeat my question uh, that I said to Charlie. Which Doctor Who's did you get? Was it only Tom Baker or John Pertwee or what? I'm interested to know. Did you get the, the awful ones? Did the, the awful ones? Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy weren't terribly good, in my humble opinion. I've not seen them. But that's just me. Anyway... I look forward to listening to podcasts you have planned for the future and please don't feel the need to cover Night's Quest and Night's End immediately. I would imagine that the amount of courage and one title over such a long period of time would start to burn you out. Best wishes, Joe Anthrax. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, yes, we've decided to take a break before we do Night's Quest and Night's End. So we and are doing that? Yeah, go on, may as well. We've received tons of great feedback on Nightfall. Okay. Let us pander to our audience and or, give them what they think they want. Ducef- death of Superman. And then do We're not doing no. the death of Superman.
1: Then do Death Superman, and then do Night's Quest, and then do Funeral for a Friend, and then do Night, Night End, Night's End. <laughs> and, and then, then do Reign of the Superman, Superman. and,
0: and that would just keep us going for
1: the next four hundred weeks. And then you do uh, Twilight. No, Emerald I'm not going anywhere near Twilight. Emerald Twilight.
0: The Green Lantern thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's only six issues, and though, isn't it? Then you do Zero Hour. i oh, I'm not doing all the Zero Hour. You could do Secret Wars too. No. <laughs> Even you won't go near that one. <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, here's another promo for some show that Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell hosted is related to what we're about to talk about.
1: James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was?
0: Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one have you used the captain? Violates the treaty, Captain. Red alert!
1: All hands, battle station! What are you scratching
0: at? Incorrect.
1: Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle station.
0: Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at two
1: com.
0: And we're back, and there's this week's comic. Um, I'm building up what this is, and I haven't actually told anyone, but it's just dawned on me I just told Michael Bailey on Facebook what we were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's one listener who knows what we're going to and do. everyone who listened to it last week. I didn't say last week. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. You did? I didn't. I stopped recording before I told you what I was doing. Oh,
1: yeah, but know. also,
0: in the write up, I tell people what we're doing. So why do I bother with all this build up and secrecy? You shouldn't tell them. I shouldn't know. What, just make them download it without knowing what it is? Yeah. You reckon? Yeah. You think that would be a better marketing hook? Okay. Anyway, we have a random choice today from my comic book collection. I say random. I don't really do it randomly in the way 20-minute long box does random. Big shout out there to Stephen Lacey. Okay. Well, how is that random? It, it. He has a computer and he presses buttons and it goes blip, 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 blip. You know, like a 70s TV show computer. So it'd be like a and huge woman woman. tape. Yeah, a big like a big big, I bet Steve Lacey has a big computer that takes up one entire wall in his house. And he walks up to it and he presses. Yeah, bleep, 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 the and table. then in the middle, <laughs> it's got a big two tape wheels that yeah. turn around. And then on the other end, it spits out a card. <laughs> and on that card, he has the issue that he's going to cover that week. Yes, yeah. Steve Lacey, if that's not true, don't get in touch with us, because I don't want to know that that's not true. Right. Well, what if? It's like, you know if you put your iPod on a shuffle? Yes.
1: You can sometimes, like, depending on what you've, uh, Walkman or anything you've got, you sometimes get the same song twice in one shuffle, can't you? Yes. Right. What if you've got the same comic twice?
0: Uh, I don't know. Well, it's funny you should mention that, because Two True Freaks, God, they're getting a lot of mentions tonight, aren't they? When they do Star Trek episodes, they pick them at random and they have a, a, a little computer. Okay. They have a little Star Trek computer, not a big wall computer it's like yeah, Steve Lacey back, have. Back they have yeah, they have one of those little ones. You know that Spot looked into and his eyes go blue? No. Shines blue on his eyes and he's looking into it. They have one of them. Oh, okay. And that randomly picks episodes for them. But they have got to the point now where it's randomly picking episodes that they've already done. Ah. So I don't know if Steve's computer is smarter than that one and he's going to work that out. Well, it is bigger. Well, it is, yes, because his is a nice big 50s type computer, whereas the Two True Freaks one is a a little Star Trek, the original series computer. That's my theory, anyway. It's not just that they add sound effects to the show after the fact. Oh, no. I think that it's real. Yes, real. Real. They do it for real, goddammit. There is no fakery or post-production goes on with these podcasts. And there is
1: such thing as Santa and the Tooth Fairy. There is,
0: yes. Particularly Santa. Anyway. I saw Santa. I don't have any digitally created spreadsheets and I don't have any high tech computers like those other people. No, I decide what back issue I feel like reading this week and pick that. That's how random I am. And for ages this week, ages this week, and for ages, I have wanted to do an issue of Star Trek. My choice this week has been influenced by my choice of television watching of late. Uh, I am going to warn you all, faithful listeners. This week's episode is going to be particularly geeky, so that's just a warning for you all. I don't know if Michael's going to be digging on this, but I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I have all the original Star Trek episodes on DVD, bought to me by my lovely wife. So all those people out there are going to still live in his parents' basement. No, <laughs> no, wrong. We just try to dissuade, dissuade you. Of all these horrible stereotypes, because there was a guy just this morning. Yeah, there was a guy on the news. I'm sure he's a lovely guy, and he's done the new adverts for Star Trek: The Next Generation, being shown on CBS Action, some okay. cable channel far down the dial somewhere. He's done new adverts. For and yeah, and the I've seen one on, on a big billboard in Bolton train station. I saw it the other day. And the good adverts, I'll give him that. And he's the lovely bloke, but. Once again, they filmed a Star Trek fan. What do you think he was wearing? Elf ears? No, a (laughs) Star Trek uniform. (laughs) And he was surrounded by Star Trek paraphernalia. And it's like, could they not have interviewed him in a normal setting? Could they not just chatted to him in the park? Why do they have to sell this constant stereotype that all we do, if we like Star Trek all the time, is wear uniforms and... No! We don't! We don't do that. I've been watching Star Trek since I was four years old. I have never... Wore a Star Trek uniform. Wait, what if though? It's like do you if you're interviewing
1: someone who likes Star Trek it's like, do you have a uniform? Nope, we do.
0: Yeah, well, I do wonder if they come up with them. And I'm not dissing the people who like cosplay. Yeah. I love going to conventions and seeing people dressed up. And you do as well, don't you, Anya? Yeah. See you, we go to conventions just so our, my daughter can see people dressed up. You've been dressed up, haven't you? Who did you go as? Supergirl. Yeah, you went dressed as Supergirl, didn't you? And got a picture with Superman. Yes, you did. And it's cool. I don't... I have nothing against people dressing up at conventions or cosplay or anything like that. I'm a big fan of it. I endorse it. I like seeing it. But it would be nice. Just one. Well, unless it's that Princess Leia. The one that we saw. The one that we saw. Yeah. 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 Maybe she should have gone as something else. Possibly. (laughs) of the (laughs) hook. You're just naughty. Oh man. This <laughs> no Oh, anyway, moving on, I just wish when they do when they do TV news reports about people who like Star Trek they wouldn't put them in uniforms. But anyway, as I was saying before Michael interrupted me, <laughs> I have all the original Star Trek episodes on DVD, bought by my lovely wife, and I've watched them many times. I grew up watching Star Trek with my now aside, for reasons too complicated to go into, I didn't grow up living with my mum and dad, I grew up with my nan and granddad. and my nan used to love sci-fi stuff, particularly Star Trek and Captain Kirk mainly, yeah, mainly I think, I suspect because of William Shatner yeah. but whatever we would go out in the garden when it was freezing cold and the night sky was crystal clear and we would look up at the stars and my nan would wonder if there really was life out there And she would say, if there is, it wouldn't look like us. It was fantastic, that. As far as I'm concerned... Star Trek begins and ends with the original series. Oh, I like some of the sequel stuff. The Next Generation had a great cast and a couple of enjoyable seasons, but was often saddled with too much wishy-washy preaching and many episodes were just plain boring. Deep Space Nine was a good sci-fi TV show that wasn't really Star Trek, the clue being in the word Trek, and I never warmed to Enterprise. I found the cast of Voyager to be incredibly dull actors, apart from Robert Picardo, and the new film... It was alright, I suppose, but Star Trek was smarter than that. Recently, I've been finding myself watching the remastered TV Star Trek. For those that don't know, Paramount wanted to spruce Trek up for the HD generation, and because it was shot on film, this was quite easy to do, unlike Next Generation, which was shot on videotape and been quite costly to upgrade to HD. However, because the special effects were layered over each other, as practical effects were back in the day, they could not be upgraded. Instead, new CG effects have been used to enhance the episodes, and in most cases, they have been really well done. Uh, I was off by the very idea of that, wasn't it? Yeah. Ruined by Lucasization of the original Star Wars movies. But they are winning me over. So which ones did you not like, then? The more I watch. I, I was just against the idea in principle. Oh, okay. And, but now I've watched about four or five. I've watched Mirror Mirror, The Ultimate Computer, Amok Time and The Doomsday Machine. And particularly Doomsday Machine and Amok Time... And, which other one does it say? The Ultimate Computer. They've done a fantastic job of them. They've got asteroids bouncing off the whole of the ship, cool. the Constellation, in um, the Doomsday Machines. Brilliant, brilliant effects. I think they've done a great job, and they may actually be better than the original. Which is the one with the scary blood tooth That's the cover Maneuver, which we watched the other night. Yeah. Me and you watched that one, didn't we? Despite they've done a good job with special effects in that one as well. They're, they're not too obtrusive. They've done quite a good job with them. And I, I do recommend them. I don't know if I recommend them over the old ones. Sometimes I miss the old grainy shots of the Enterprise, but they've done a really good job. Having watched a few episodes, though, um, and listening to a couple of Trekkie-type podcasts, I've been wanting to read some more adventures of the original Enterprise crew and looked at my comics collection. Originally, I'd thought to do Star Trek Annual 1, which is probably my all-time favourite Star Trek comic book story. But it's a tale of Kirk's first mission as captain of the Enterprise. Now, this story hadn't been told at the time that that issue was published, but it's been done twice since. First, as a 20th anniversary novel, Enterprise The First Adventure by Vonda McIntyre, and, of course, it was the basis of the 2009 reboot movie uh, directed by J.J. Abrams. Instead... I plumped for Star Trek Annual Number 2 which depicts Kirk's last mission as Captain of the Enterprise at the end of the original five year mission. Was it not longer than five years? It says at the beginning of every episode. A five it's five year mission. So, so... But oh, they didn't get to do five years. They were cancelled after three. Very nice. So this ends that five-year mission. okay. The story is called The Final Voyage and was released on June 28th, 1986, five months before the release of Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. It was written by Mike W. Barr, with art by Dan Jurgens and Bob Smith. Robert Greenberger was the editor and it was lettered and coloured by Augustine Mass and Michelle Wolfhardt. Dan Jurgens' title. That's not Superman. No, it's Dan Jurgens' title. It doesn't have Superman in it. There are lots of Dan Jurgens books that don't have Superman in it. It doesn't look like Dan Jurgens. No, it's really good, isn't it? But we'll discuss the art. I have a, a Marvel Dan
1: Jurgens. He did Thor for ages. He did How to Draw
0: Comics and Marvel. Hey? He did, and Captain America, which I always found strange. I always associate Dan Jurgens with DC. Yeah. I didn't understand that. But anyway, he did Captain America as well. And okay. he did some Spider-Man stuff. The cover is by Dennis Cohen and Ricardo Villagran and depicts the crew of the Enterprise leaving the ship behind. David Banner bags over their shoulder as Kirk salutes them. Oh, he's saluting them. What did you think he was doing? I was going, that in the You thought he was parting his hair. No, he's just looking forward. <laughs> doing his catalogue post. Locking the sun. <laughs> Locking the sun out of his eyes. Yeah. Well, that's quite clearly the moon. Did the lights <laughs> off the Enterprise. Oh, they are very bright. It's a good cover, conveying the tone of the story. The cover says the story's called The Final Mission. But cover copy doesn't necessarily have to reflect on contents. Uh, did you think anything of this cover? Yeah. What? Well... They're not walking on it. it. They're walking on the floor, presumably. The floor goes up to above the heads. Well, it does, but, you know, it's, it's and, a and, symbolic And where cover, are they? In many ways. They're, mm, well, I would assume that they're in Space Dock. But if not they're in, in space. space Dock, how come you can see space? But if you have a look at the top, the banner annual covers the top, and there does look like a curve, though. So they could be, that could be like a big window in Space Dock. Like, like the is in the desktop. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I suppose. The story begins... On a routine mapping mission, Kirk receives word from Starfleet Command that the ship has received permission to return home after the historic five-year mission, after a brief stopover at Starbase 10. The Enterprise reports to the Starbase and picks up the officer in charge of giving the Enterprise her refit, Commander Will Decker. With Decker on board, the Enterprise heads for Earth, Scotty, meanwhile, is arranging a hazing for the new crew members who have finished their first tour of duty and Kirk and McCoy agree to this fine upholding of military tradition. However, when Chekhov is undergoing his hazing in the holographic projection room, the images suddenly change to carnelian acid snakes, which Chekhov believes to be real. He passes out and Scotty reveals that they have no hollow discs of carnelia. A quick call to the bridge and a few photon torpedoes from some nearby Klingon cruisers reveal that the Enterprise is not nearing Earth, but is actually in orbit around Talos IV, the only planet in Federation law still under penalty of death. The Talosians have enhanced mental powers and can cause illusions so powerful in the minds of their adversaries so as to seem real. The Klingons have taken over the planet and have learned how to use the Talosians' powers. They have lured the Enterprise to Talos IV, a place the Enterprise has visited before, and where spot left his wounded, disabled former captain of the Enterprise, Christopher Pike. The Klingons' plan to use the Enterprise to approach Federation space and use their illusory powers to conquer Starfleet and, to that end, have started influencing the crew. Thankfully, when confiscating their weapons and communicators, the Klingons do not recognise the new wrist communicator being worn by Commander Decker, and Kirk uses it to beam aboard the ship. He aids Dr. McCoy in creating an antidote which he pipes through the ship's filtering system and, crew back at their stations, he opens fire on the Klingons, disabling or destroying them. With Spock's help, the retake their planet and purge the memory of their world from the remaining Klingon mines. The enterprise heads for Earth, where Kirk says goodbye to his crew. He takes one last look around the bridge before leaving the enterprise for, he thinks, the last time. We going straight into this. Okay. I oh, we talking about the issue? Yeah, right. Do you wish to go first? Okay. Okay, do. Right. Yes. Don't don't hit me. I'm not him. I'm not going to hit you. Child abuse is frowned upon in this McCoy country. Called bones? McCoy is called Bones, not because of that stupid, dumbass reason in the new movie okay. that he's just got a divorce and all he's got left is his bones. No. Goddamn stupid. He's called Bones, because back in the Old West, they referred to doctors as Sawbones. Okay. And Kirk does actually reference that in an episode. But given that the new Star Trek movie had Captain Kirk as a child driving a car, when it quite clearly established in one of the episodes that he didn't know what a car was and couldn't drive one, they obviously didn't do their research very well, did they, when they made that film? It's J.J. Abrams, got a camera flare on camera. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's got a camera flare, he's happy. Yeah. Story logic be damned, obviously. Okay. Yes? On page one panel one. Yes. That's the ship that goes old Grand Theft Auto on, isn't it? It's not the USS Reliant, no, it's the USS Kobayashi Maru 2, but I do think it is the same class of starship, yes. Right. I don't know what that class is. Okay. I've never been that geeky to know <laughs> classes of starships. I have a friend who does. Who does? Um, Phil from school. Does he? Yeah. Does he know Star Trek ships? He does, yeah. Excellent! I'm very, I'm constantly impressed by your friends at school. He's,
1: he's the one who'd nicknamed me Warp 4 because I preferred the original Star Trek to any of us. Yeah, good. Well, that just shows good taste and as in, far as I'm concerned. And claims that the original Enterprise couldn't do more than Warp 4. We frequently saw the original
0: Enterprise do more than Warp 4. Went back in time. Well, that as well. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. And on the next page, it's a chubby Kirk. Uh, well, this would be towards the end of a season, wouldn't it? And it was well established that William Shatner would put weight on during the course of a season. Mm. So, uh, if you're looking at page three, the double-page splash that starts his fed, the first panel with Kirk in it, he, he, he doesn't look fat. He looks chubby. But he's he's a bit chubby. No wrong with that. I liked it when he got a bit chubby. He meant he off. stopped taking his top off. He's going all Boston Legal already. <laughs> Did he Crane. And also, what happened on Gamma Hydra 4? <laughs> where does it say, where is it talking about Gamma Hydra well, when 4? They,
1: when they go on that place, though. Oh, right, yeah,
0: when he first meets Commodore Stocker. Yeah. On Gamma Hydra 4. Uh, if memory serves, and this is strictly from memory, Gamma Hydra 4 was the Deadly Years, I think. Okay. Yes, it was, I mentioned it in my notes. <laughs> yes, and I didn't, I did. I did think, I did have to look that up, I think. Okay. I didn't remember Galahydra for. I remembered Commodore Stocker, Yeah. but I couldn't have told you what episode he was in. Okay. So the deadly years was the episode where, for reasons known to nobody, they all beamed down to a planet and then they all started going old. Okay. Apart from Chekhov, who remained young. And they found out that Chekhov was dead excited when they all went when they all got this disease that made them old and then they fixed them all. he got dead excited. Yes. Do you know how it shows that Kirk's getting younger and more virile? Oh. The camera zooms in on his crotch. <laughs> That's, I'm not making that up. That's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, carry on. Right, you know there's a Decker in this? Yes. Wasn't Decker in Next Generation or something?
0: No, Colonel uh, Will Decker, this boy here, is in search of the motion picture. And his dad, Commodore Matt Decker, was in the Doomsday Machine. sure I've heard Decker from one of the spin-offs. I don't recall there being a decker in one of the spin-offs, but you may have seen one that I haven't. Fair enough. Will Riker. He has the same first name I suppose. <laughs> it's close enough, isn't it? Yeah. Go on. Um also when they mention the new
1: standard issues standard issue uniforms. Yes. They're not that good since they don't last
0: since after the first movie. Um, Well, they weren't great uniforms to begin with. I didn't dislike them. A lot of people have dissed them as being pyjamas. Even Scotty. Even Scotty Scotty disses them as pyjamas in this story. Um, But there were some that I quite... I quite like Kirk's short-sleeved one that he wore. And McCoy wore a short-sleeved one as well. I quite like them. Um, But they... Yeah, they were... the, the, The divided opinion is probably the nicest way to put the Star Trek, the motion picture uniforms. But... Some people have established that if Star Trek The Motion Picture only takes place two and a half years after oh, yeah. the end of the series, five-year mission, and then Star Trek two takes place 15 years after the original series, then there's a five-year mission missing in between. Fair enough. Because there's only three years between the films, Yeah. but the film Star Trek The Motion Picture establishes that it takes place for two and a half years after the five-year mission finishes, but Star Trek 2 takes place 15 years later. Okay. So, there's a discrepancy there. So, for all we know, those uniforms lasted for 15 years. Fair enough. And we only saw one Star Trek that took place in that time period. Okay. Oh, kiddo. God, I'm glad we cleaned that up. I'd rather have a red top, to be honest. Would you? I
1: would would have... you rather be a red shirt? I wouldn't make it past the week. <laughs> no, probably not. Um... The Koloth dude. Yes. He doesn't look like a Klingon. None of the Klingons look like Klingons.
0: None of the Klingons look like pasty-headed Klingons. D- they don't have ass heads. No, they don't. But in the original Star Trek, they didn't. Did they not? They know? had like Fu Manchu moustaches. I- I- I'd know that if Adam left the episode of the Yes, Hedgehog well, on. that's because he's cack. You need to watch more original Star Trek is the bottom line. Okay. It's quality. Captain Koloth was in The Trouble with Tribbles. Okay. So pretty much everyone who's in this has been in another episode. Career. Pretty much.
1: Um, and on page twenty-one, panel four, mm. when they're when they're all in the uh, in the cell, cells,
0: how come Kirk and the other one are chained up? Kirk and Vina. Yeah. Well, Kirk is chained up. Kirk's chained to the floor. was well,
1: they they not chained up to the wall?
0: No. Well, maybe they ran out of manacles. I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, it would. It doesn't. It means that Kirk gets to do some William Shatner expressive hand acting <laughs> by but having it. Yeah. What? Uh, by being able to move his hands around. He wouldn't be able to do that if he's chained to the wall, Lucy in the sky with the diamonds. Yes. Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, it was all right. Did you? Yeah. Because you kind of have no choice but to know about the original Star Trek, because let's face it, you live with me. Mm-hmm. And have grown up with me watching it. So I was interested in what you actually thought of this as a comic. I thought it was alright as a comic. Did you Did you enjoy it? Yes. What did you like about it? Because it isn't your traditional comic for. No. It's not mind-bending stuff. It's not manga. And it's not Alex Ross superhero stuff. I prefer endings to beginnings. Do you? Yeah. Why? Because there's more in them. Yeah, but you have to have a beginning to have an ending. But I already know the beginning. I didn't know the ending. Well, did you know the beginning of Star Trek, though? Star Trek just started. Star Trek didn't have a pilot episode Were Kirk went on the ship for the first time and met Spock for the first time and met Scotty for the first time the first episode of Star Trek is just another episode of Star Trek they've got slightly different uniforms on Mm. but for all intents and purposes it's just another episode just another day at the office you
1: explain it to me oh there was a captain before Kirk and Kirk replaced him that's all you need
0: to know yeah that's pretty much all you needed to know Captain Christopher Pike used to command the Enterprise now he doesn't so why was he left on that planet then? Uh, in the menagerie yeah. they established that Pike was injured in an accident that left him disabled in okay. a wheelchair and he could only communicate with those beeps and right. Spock violated orders to take him back to Talos 4 so that he could live on that planet oh, of illusion he imagine he as, um, uh, yeah, so he could live the rest of his life as an active person so Spock risked court-martial to save his former captain right. And Kirk would do the same thing for Spock in Star Trek The Search for Spock. Everything comes full circle. Mm-hmm. You see. Uh, the opening splash page, my notes are considerably more detailed. Yeah. Did you notice that? I did. <laughs> the opening splash page is very similar to the next mission trailers that you used to get on the show. There's a shot of Kirk, Spock and McCoy in a familiar pose. Kirk, Kirk, Skirk? Captain Skirt. Captain Skirt Chaser. <laughs> Captain Kirk is pointing a phaser McCoy has a communicator and Spock's using his little tricorder thing um, the Enterprise is in orbit around a planet, a Klingon with a knife at Captain Pike's throat and a Tulosian the logo, Star Trek, in the same font as the show, albeit in red, not yellow or blue, and the title and the credits I think that's a fantastic splash page a great teaser and it would have made an excellent poster, the likenesses are good without being overly photo referenced and it would have made a much better cover to be yeah. honest than that one, wouldn't it? Um, my only thinking on that is because they wanted to begin the story with a double page spread
1: they had to have done that
0: that's how that came about but they could still have done that do you not think they could have done the teaser the USS Kobayashi Maru as the first page and then have that double page spread take the full two pages so take that panel no take those panels and redraw them onto one page Oh, okay. as a pre-credit sequence and then have redraw that to be the full two-page spread yeah. so you could have had a bit more space in or something like that that's my thinking and use that as the cover if I could have an original piece of art from that book it would be that cover that first splash page nice. I think that's excellent what did you think of the photo likenesses? I you, all right. Yeah, they're good enough, aren't they? You know who you're looking at. The TV like structure continues into the story itself. Yeah, I noticed that. Did you notice that? The story's broken down into acts, like the show with a teaser and cliffhangers, and a tag scene at the end. In addition, we have scenes of sparks flying on the bridge, an enterprise in orbit shot, a fight scene, Spock and McCoy verbally sparring. I'm a doctor, not a. Fascinating. And the way Jurgens draws Kirk is very. Evocative mm. of the TV show he gets a number of great Shatner poses in on this I mean just mm. in the first couple of pages the shot on the, the splash page the shot mm. of him sitting in the captain's chair the close up of it at the bottom of page two, the brilliant shot of him on page four. That's fantastic, isn't it? That shot occurred Kurt uh, And it's like that all the way through. Jurgens really does nail William Shatner's. Oh, guy I hate working with teenagers. He really does an excellent job of depicting William Shatner's mannerisms. Is that better? <laughs> yeah. Is that better for you, Captain Immature? Yep excellent good I'm so glad Um, the teaser for this is the USS Kobayashi Maru 2 being attacked by a Klingon cruiser what happened to the first one I presume he got blown up Ships get blown up a lot in Star Trek. (laughs) Two interesting things about this teaser. One, the captain is a female. We never saw a female captain in the original Star Trek at all. And the first time we would see one was in Star Trek IV, still a couple of months away from release at this point. This has probably been pissed all over. Sorry. Retconned by the TV show Enterprise secondly all of the times we'd seen a Federation vessel in Star Trek thus far they'd been constitution class starships i.e. they looked like the Enterprise the USS Reliant in Star Trek 2 was the first different class of ship we saw I'm not saying Starfleet didn't have different classes of ships but at the time of the original show there were only 12 deep space vessels if memory serves oh they were
1: all the ones in the film that all got blown up which ones? on the J.J. Abrams one, so there's 12 of them, but the one.
0: all got like, Enterprise? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember that. It, oddly enough, as Michael pointed out, though the Kobe Maru is a Reliant-style starship, so it is entirely possible that that was the first other class of vessel. Do you
1: not think there's just an upside-down Enterprise?
0: Yeah, but, you know, you've got a design, stick with it. Yeah. What's wrong with the design of the Enterprise? Yeah, there you go. So, do you know?
1: I have a model of it, actually. You do? It's very back, true. That dates back to when it was on TV, I think.
0: Yes, that my granddad had in his garage. Yeah, it was yeah.
1: no an model, and someone had tried to do it. but Well, I used to have a
0: brilliant model of the movie Enterprise, yeah. and I dropped it, and the, the saucer section snapped off. So, I reenacted that bit from Star oh, yeah. Trek 3 where the shit blows up, the saucer comes off. I reenacted that bit and then threw it away. I but it was a brilliant G- model. I you said three. And I just threw it out the window so it would crash to the planet. okay. Like it does in its 3. But it was a great moment. My grand me that. I was quite upset when I broke it, but I thought, I'll give it a decent send-off. <laughs> and it shoot it out and it crashed onto the, the floor below in a blaze of glory. Done? My God, Bones, what have I done? What you had to do. What you always do. Turn death in a fighting chance for life. I was going to start singing some- I'm not interested in... The down. double page spread on page two to three is excellent. The art is great. Kirk looks just like William Shatner without being overtly photo-referenced, as I've already said. And the Enterprise, that shot of the Enterprise on page two is fan-dabby-dozing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but for me, there's just something about seeing the proper Enterprise, the real... Enterprise, not the movie one, not B, C, or D or E. The TV show Enterprise is still a fantastic design, and you can fiddle with it, and you can add little twiddles and knobs and paneling and interlacing and bigger water the cells, and you will not improve on the original. That's a fantastic starship. Aren't you one of those people who can tell the differences? first pilot, the second pilot Enterprise. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, I'm one of those people that go, that shot's from the first pilot because it's not got the things on the back of the nacelles and that's from the, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I do apologise. Yeah, right. I told you this was going to be an inordinately geeky episode. The minute we talk about the original Star Trek, I just turn into a withering fanboy, don't I? Mm-hmm. I love the old Star Trek I don't make any excuse for it. Uh, the same with the panel on page three. The shot of Kirk on the bridge in his Abraham Lincoln command show. A pretty blonde yeoman. Is that supposed to be Janice Rand? Do you think? It. Janice Rand with his yeoman in the first 13 episodes. Oh, was she the useless
1: one? We're on the one with the <laughs> butt-toothed baby. They're all like, no, we're going to blow up and she comes on with tea. Yes.
0: Okay. She's that's... not useless. She shows up with tea Janice Rand, I, I liked Yeoman dance. Rand. She got fired because she was a bit, you know, I think she was taking drugs at the time. Oh, okay. I think. That may not be true. That's allegedly. Don't sue me, Janice Rand. (laughs) Grace Lee Whitney. Um, But I liked Janice Rand. She was a good character. And then they wrote her out because of that. Shame that. How did they write her out? She just disappears and is never mentioned again. (laughs) We do see her again in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Okay. And Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock. And, oh, is she in Star Trek 6 as well? I don't know. I think she's on Sulu's ship in Star Trek 6. She's definitely in the episode of Voyager right. that takes place on Sulu's ship. Okay. She's definitely in that. So she did come back a couple of times. Um, Kirk's got like, one of those little things in his hand that he used to sign.
1: Well,
0: those little digital pads oh, where he had okay. to sign today's work duty roster so the, the, the attention to detail is brilliant Spock's off at the science station Sulu, Chekov and Uhura are all where they belong young and immortal uh, in proper Starfleet uniforms I feel ten years old again <laughs> I love that shot I just love this comic, it's a brilliant comic however, there is a mistake on this page Is there? did you not notice in reading it, Kirk has no. two log entries with two different caption boxes, one log entry two different caption boxes saying the same thing so he says, Captain's Log, start at 5996.5. On a charting mission in the outer rim of the sector, we await word from Starfleet Command. A message crucial to the crew and the well-being of the Enterprise. The crew is tense, uneasy. I await the response to my message from Starfleet, knowing the answer is crucial to the crew's well-being. He says the same thing twice. So they didn't spot that. Editorial asleep at the wheel. Uh, page three, we've already mentioned that that's an excellent shot of Kirk. At the top of page three. But the shots of the ship are brilliant as well. And there's a little close up of the Enterprise Bridge. Oh, big geek out. The Enterprise saying yippee. The Enterprise is not <laughs> saying yippee. Is it, Mario well, now? it does look like it's, it's a living ship. <laughs> yes, it's very good. Excellent. Uh, nice little extra to continuity uh, on this page as well. If you have a look, Scotty has got a moustache and he's looking a bit portlier. That's continuity that he has a moustache. It's fitting into Star Trek The Motion Picture, where he's got a moustache and he's a bit grey around the sideburns. He did not have a moustache in the series. No, he didn't have a tash in the series. He wasn't rocking the magnum in the TV show. Uh, Commodore Stocker, who greets Kirk on Starbase 10, was, as we've already mentioned in the TV episode, The Deadly Years, Um, which does lead me to the only real complaint I have about Mike W. Barr's run on Star Trek, Um, He had the fan tendencies to have far too many recurring characters from the original TV show. In the three-year run of the TV show, very few characters returned for sequels. Uh, Off the top of my head, I can only think of two. Kevin Riley and Harry Mudd. And Khan, if you count the movies, obviously. In Barr's 20-odd issue run, and this is just off the top of my head, Barr brought back the Excalibans, the Organians, Kor, the Mirror Universe, and others in Annual 1. But we can forgive that, because that was a flashback. Which one's the dinosaur dude? The dinosaur dude?
1: Yeah.
0: The Excalibans?
1: No. The, the Gorn? D- yeah.
0: That he fights in Arena? Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Gorn ever came back in the, t- in the comics. Oh. Well, they did, but for complicated reasons they became known as the Laugh. The Lath? Yeah, it's too complicated to go into here. Oh. In this annual alone, he brings back Commodore Stocker, Captain Koloth, the Talosians, Edith Keeler, Spock's mum... And introduces Will Decker. What happened to exploring strange new worlds? Um, got tired out. It's, it's the end of the fight Yeah. I mean, well, it does remind me a lot of the last episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. All good things. I mean, obviously this was written ten years before. Uh, ten years, eighty-six to ninety. No, ninety-four. Eight years before that but it is very full circle just like that is mm. the, if you think that the first episode of Star Trek The Cage the one with Christopher Pike in they went to Talos for and had the Talosians in then this the last episode brings them full circle doesn't it Okay. so I, don't, I, mean, I didn't mind that I don't, that's okay uh, The Visit to Starbase 10 we see that all the Starfleet personnel are wearing the Star Trek and the Motion Picture uniforms, which leads to a humorous exchange between Uhura and Scotty regarding miniskirts. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite. Did you like that? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, Scotty's not too impressed about zipping around space in a pair of pyjamas, and Uhura says, "You'd think differently if you'd spent the last five years wearing a miniskirt." I quite like miniskirts. <laughs> you'd wear one for five years, would you? I, th- maybe not for five years. <laughs> possibly uh, we're also introduced to Will Decker son of Matt Decker from the TV episode The Doomsday Machine Will Decker goes on to have a pivotal role in Star Trek The Motion Picture Dan Jürgen's art is fantastic it uh, really manages to bring the old sets to life and whilst reading it really feels like you're watching an old TV show some of this is the use of camera angles the shot of the bridge from overhead on page nine the rec room on page five sick bay on page sixteen all have a familiar look to them from the show and the use of characters from other iterations give the Star Trek universe a cohesive feel which kind of contradicts what I just said about constantly bringing back characters doesn't it but I'm nothing if not contradictory by nature aren't we all there was a holodeck in an animated TV episode that whilst not advanced as the one seen in the next generation was a precursor to that so it isn't quite the anomaly that it seems that Chekhov is in a holodeck although you probably didn't even notice did you? no they no, never did that in the original show they didn't have a holodeck no but they did have in the cartoons oh ok that apparently are part of the original show don't
1: don't in the holodeck they have a, a gangster land and Picard goes in there and he's all gangster and he's like yeah
0: he's not a guy he's a
1: private detective oh ok Dixon Hill and there's all, all the mafia dudes like we're gonna bust you up ah I'm a serious Shakespearean thespian <laughs> <laughs> He'll do no
0: such thing. <laughs> I don't think he quite says that, <laughs> but I'm sure it's running through his mind. Uh, page 19, Spock gets angry. He, he, he looks a bit... Don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. He looks funny. Well, you're not used to seeing Spock angry. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? That's apart from in a mock time when he smashes the crap out of some poor TV screen. Does it? Yeah. Okay, Prime. Beats the crap out of it out of his little laptop computer. Isn't that
1: the one in Transformers Three?
0: I've not seen Transformers yeah, Three. Transformers I have no 3. interest in seeing it's Transformers like, Three. It's on the TV. <coughs> the one on the Transformers. A mock time
1: on is on TV. It's like we're watching the cinema of school, and this little Transformer goes on say, hey, "It's the one where Spot goes crazy." "Laser, Liz, It's a mock time. It's a mock time.
0: You referenced the episode title. You're great. <laughs> and (laughs) And the rest of your friends were what the hell are you talking about (laughs) and there's a bit in it where where the guy uh, Len Nemo
1: voices like Ah, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few Liz Liz that's what he says in Star Trek
0: 2 brilliant I'm still not interested in watching Transformers 3 Um, you actually, I think you actually buy him getting angry because the Klingons are torturing Captain Pike who is for all intents and purposes a disabled man in a wheelchair and the Klingons are torturing him they of the earth. Aren't nice like oh dear God. Uh Spock wrist his rank to save Pike in the menagerie, so it's totally believable that this would make Spock lose his cool. Uh the Klingon captain in this story is my dear Captain Koloth from the episode The Trouble with Tribbles. I told you he brought back lots of characters, didn't I? I'm not making this stuff up. Uh Koloth was a joke in Tribbles, but Tribbles is a joke of an episode, so it doesn't matter. I don't mind it. I think my problem with the trouble with Tribbles stems from the fact that everybody always seems to vote it the best ever episode of Star Trek. And it clearly isn't, by a long margin. It's one of the most memorable episodes of Star Trek. That doesn't necessarily make it one of the best. And I also have problems with people saying something's the best when they haven't seen them all. I couldn't say that such and such a story is the best Batman story ever told because I haven't read them all. It could be the best that you've read. That's what I mean. So it could be the best I've read. Mm -hmm. It could be my favourite, which is completely different from best. I have a lot of favourite episodes of Star Trek. They're actually quite bad episodes. Yeah. But I like them for whatever reason. So I, I always have a problem with with tribbles being thwarted so highly. I don't dislike it. I think Kirk's written horribly out of character in it, but that's... Have, that's, you, have you seen the mini-mates? That's a tangent. I have seen that. Your your brother likes the mini-mates. There's, there's a Kirk and there's just a line of little... Little balls
1: tribbles. <laughs> Can you
0: drop them on his head?
1: <laughs> they're not separate, though. It's just a line of little
0: balls. Oh, oh okay. Fair enough. So they're not little separate tribbles. Like
1: Like lines of sausages.
0: Well, the Klingons probably do eat them. Do they? At the end of the episode. I how how do they get the hair off? But they shave them. Oh, I just the think cool. we get her off chickens. Chickens have <laughs> <off> feathers. Chickens just feathers. How do you think we get feathers off chickens? You pluck them. Yes. You so. can't pluck her. You can shave dribbles. 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 <laughs> dribbles. <laughs> the light dribbles. <laughs> <laughs> only not. They come from the south pole. Yeah. The tribbles Southern the dribbles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear god. So the only reason I can think of for bringing Cole off back... Instead of Kor or Kang, uh, would Kodos. Be, uh, Kodos is not a Klingon in Star Trek. Kodos is Kodos the Executioner, which is a completely different episode. Okay. Don't try and out-trivia me on old Star Trek stuff, boy. No, you said Kang. Kang is a Klingon. But Kodos isn't. Kodos isn't. Okay. So when they use those names in The Simpsons, yeah. they're not referencing two Klingons, oh, okay. they're referencing two completely different characters. Uh, as I was saying, the only reason I can think to bring Koloff back is to make him a scurry Klingon again after the joke that he was in The Trouble with Tribbles, um, all three of them, Kor, Kang, and Koloth, would come back in Deep Space Nine. Okay. With pasty heads. <laughs> may be no explanation of, is given.
1: Of this is like a universe-wide genetic mutation.
0: Yeah. It was a plague. Possibly. The plague was there an episode of Deep Space Nine where Wolf just says something like, we don't like to talk about it, and that's it. That's the only time it's ever been mentioned. Fair enough. I think that, I think there was. The Plague of the Assheads. Yes. <laughs> well, no, the Assheads of the Telosians in there. Root Juniors, then. Buttock Juniors, Root Juniors yeah. Um, I don't really buy the Klingons could learn how to project illusions like the Telosians. I thought they, they were all just stupid. They don't really it's have disciplined a good minds. to do. die. Yeah, they, they don't really have. Get off my comic cap. Maybe if they bred the women to do it. Yeah, possibly, but they didn't, did they? But according to this story, the Klingons all learned how to be... Tolosian mind telepath projectors they how to be clever yes and I never really got that co-off was particularly clever uh, strong emotions break the illusory control of the Telosians, and the Klingons make a real mistake making Kirk think of Edith Keeler from the TV episode you guessed it another one uh, City on the Edge of Forever it's a nice touch as I'm someone who would much rather have had Edith Keeler being Trek generations rather than some woman we've never heard of Antonia where did she come from? Isn't generations so the one where he dies? Yes, badly. Oh, I what? Well. No. you to that generation. generations. yeah, no. Know, he falls off a bridge on the captain. Okay, it's not very good. A waste of material. Uh, page thirty four also has a couple of mistakes. Page panel two, the Enterprise has no detailing or decals like it does in other panels, and pa- whilst panel three. Which I can't look at now, because the cat's just decided to wander and eat my microphone. So if you don't hear me properly, that's because the cat's decided to join us. What did you think of this issue, cat? <laughs> Excellent. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. What's your favourite iteration of Star Trek? You like Voyager. Really? You can leave now. You can <laughs> you can go away. I'm not having any Cat Captain Janeway fans... In my house, as I was saying, uh, page 34, panel two, the Enterprise has no detailing I or like decals, like do you? Yeah. Do you prefer it without the NCC 170 and all that? It, but but I like it. No, see, and it's not got any windows in either. I thought that looked a bit odd. Also, in panel three, not only is Chekhov wearing the wrong coloured shirt, he's suddenly become a red shirt, but his word balloon is pointing at the navigation station and not the science station. I thought that dude though was saying it. No, that's Chekhov Oh, look at his... Because of his crappy mm, accent. And his... And his her. <laughs> yeah. not sir. Look at his Davy Jones her. They do not OK. It was invented by a little old lady from Leningrad. Nuclear the, vessels? The, the accent's on this, for.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know.
0: I, I can live with his Russian accent. Um, my only real complaint about the story itself is the ending is very rushed. Did you not know think? Mm. McCoy and Kirk come up with a cure in two panels. Uh, And the final space battle takes place in one page. I know Star Trek was never about space battles. But when one has an unlimited budget, like a comic, a few more phaser blasts would have been nice, instead of three panels worth of fighting.
1: Would have not been better if, because it's like big emotions and stuff that get them out of it. Just go to Earth. And do what? Well, surely emotions of going back to Earth after five years will get them out of it.
0: And also, humans are full of emotions, so... Yeah, possibly. It worked on Battlestar. It did. All told, I thought this was an excellent comic and it would have made a brilliant last episode of the show. It wouldn't have been impossible to do this on a TV budget, especially if they could have got a bit of extra money with it being the last episode.
1: Did they have extra money with the last one?
0: They sometimes give them a budget infusion. Just to make it bigger? Yeah, just to make it bigger and, and slightly better. Um, I mean, granted, they could never have actually done this, As the last episode of the show, because they would have had no idea that the show would just prosper in repeats and then become a motion picture series 10 years after cancellation. The final pages of Kirk saying goodbye to the ship and taking the dedication plaque off the wall with him is. oh, it's beautiful. It's great. shot of the Enterprise approaching the Starbase is fantastic the final couple of pages where they all say goodbye to each other and set up Star Trek The Motion Picture Spock saying he's going back to Vulcan to do the colonnary and McCoy saying he's, he's bailing out of the service because he gets drafted in Star Trek The Motion Picture does it? yeah Kirk drafts him ok to come back on board and be the ship's medical officer so he has no choice but to so go back so he has no choice but to go back it's a fantastic issue one of the best in DC's run uh, as evidenced by the fact that it was picked to appear in the best of Star Trek graphic novel okay. that DC produced. How many issues did they do? Of Star Trek? They yeah. did it about 80 odd initially. Oh, okay. And then Mike W. Barr wrote it and then it went through a bit of a lull in the middle and then Peter David took over and then he started again at a new number one when they got the rights to the next generation. And that ran for a couple of years, I think. Most of them were alright. They were always good solid. so they were much better than Marvel's attempt at a Star Trek comic. Star Trek. Yes, uh, not recommended. What? It's just not very good. It's... What DC did right was they took Star Trek and made it into a comic. And what Marvel did was they took Star Trek and made it into a Marvel comic you get me. So it's all kapow. No it's not so much that it's kapow it's just everyone's vaguely superhero Punch. Yeah that kind of it just it just it just wasn't very good. The DC one was really good. I think. Um, adverts of note in this issue. The opening page uh, before the splash page has an advert for Batman 400 which has a great Bill Sienkiewicz cover. I like it. And an introduction by Stephen King. It's a good issue, that. Okay. Uh, I remember 400 being a damn good issue.
1: I do like the cover, though.
0: Um, it's got a, a mixture of artists. George Perez did a couple of pages. Brian Bolland, Art Adams, Adam Kubert, John Byrne, I think. There's some posters in as well. It's not quite as good as Superman 400. Which was that? Superman is great. I can't describe it. It's just a series of vignettes. It's brilliant. Okay. You need to read that as well. Okay. Still, my favourite anniversary issue of all time, Superman four hundred. I think, uh, but very, very good. I mean, in fact, we may dig Batman four hundred and Superman four hundred out at one point and cover okay. them on a future show. What do you think? Maybe we'll save that for an anniversary issue. The four hundred episode, and we'll do the four. We're not waiting for the four hundred. <laughs> do you think we'll be doing this when we reach four hundredth episode? I don't know. Man. I kind of doubt it. Somehow, um, there is an advert. For the Man of Steel by John Dick Giordano. The book that started Superman from scratch in 1986. Just quite there. Why did it stop?
1: Why did what stop? Superman. Why did they have to
0: reboot it? They rebooted most everything after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, okay. And Superman started with a new number one. You know, back when they actually had the balls to say, this is a reboot. We're starting from zero. Nothing that went before counts. Mm. As opposed to now... Where they just keep going, well, it's not really a reboot. Well, no, this it's, is... It's cherry-picking a bit. It's not. It's not a reboot. Well, How can it be... Green Lantern's carrying on where it left off. That's not a reboot. Batman's carrying on with Grant Morrison stuff. That's not a reboot. It's not. Superman's being stealth-rebooted because he's not accessible anymore. You know why he's not accessible anymore, Dan DiDio? Because your goddamn writers can't write Superman worth a damn! But that's a rant for I another do episode. I don't know
1: that Batman is being rebooted. It's just that Batman Incorporated
0: um, is carrying on. At the back, there's an advert for Secret Origins, which uh, this advert, Secret Origins 6, is for Halo by Mike W. Byrne, Dick Giordano, and Batman by Roy Thomas, Marshall Rogers, and Terry Austin. That is a fantastic Batman origin story. Mm. It's the Batman of Earth. One or Earth Two? I always mix them up. Which is the ones where they got older, and Superman Earth married one. Lois Lane? Earth One. Earth, right. Yeah. Earth uh, 2 actually Is it?
1: No. Are you uh, confused no. as well? I remember them <laughs> saying. Um, I remember the old Superman saying, "Yeah, they decided to call us Earth Two, even though we've been here for longer." Right.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Well, anyway, that's excellent. Marshall Rogers, one of my favourite Batman artists. Neil Gaiman. <clears throat> of all time. Neil, yeah, Gaiman, Neil Gaiman did Gaiman the Secret Origins yeah. Annual, yes. Okay. Which is very good. Okay. I have it. Do. You? Yes. Okay. I do. Have you never read it? No. I'll have to dig that out if I. All told, a fantastic issue, I think. Once again, you've not picked anything. No. Because you're a lazy, bone-idle, workshop fop. I'll do double the effort next week. We're watching TV next week. Like I said, double the effort. Uh, Okay. Next week, we are proud to present... The very first episode of Hey Kids Comics, Couch Potato. We'll be kicking off with an episode from the. It's sad, you're supposed to say 70s, but it started in the 70s, but it ran to the 80s, didn't it? Anyway, we'll be starting off with an episode of the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno Incredible Hulk series. Which you have to go watch. Which you now have to go and watch yeah. to make notes about. And then we'll both watch it together. Okay. That'll be fun. Um, but you'll have to tune in to see which one we're doing. ha, <laughs> there's a tease. Is it? Yes, I think so. Uh, After that, we'll be doing episodes from various other TV shows um, that we're still working on. We think we've picked them all, don't we? Yeah. Okay. So hopefully, we'll see you all next week for that. Bye. Bye. Hey Kids Comics is at The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to do production. Every Thursday, new episodes drop at aplayland.podomatic.com You can join in the fun. We have a website where you can view the covers of the comics that we talk about. www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. And the show can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com If you're allergic to email, we also have a forum. www.forumforgeeks.com We are also on Facebook. You can contact us using Hey Kids as the first name, Comics as the surname. The opinions of Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Andrew and Michael and no one else, mainly because no one else would be dumb enough to have those opinions. The music and clips used in the show are copyright, their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.